Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to the very first episode of the Southpaw Slice for 2019. So, yeah, our season is underway on both the ATP and WTA sides. I'm Ben Lewis, joined by Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590. Find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. And wow, what an unbelievable story to start our season. Uh, Bianca Andreescu, the 18-year-old from Mississauga, in her first uh, tournament of the season, reaching a WTA final from Auckland at the ASB Classic, uh, getting four top 50 wins along the way with victories over Venus Williams, Caroline Wojniacki, uh, Shea Suwei, just to name a few. And uh, Mike, why don't we start right there? Uh, I, I never really look at the first week of the season and expect to see anything drastic or, or incredible. But uh, Bianca, kind of out of nowhere, the last time we talked about her, she was scrapping on ITF events, and suddenly she finds herself in a final. Yeah, what a great story to start the year. Uh, and we're biased, obviously, being that we're both uh, Canadians and proud Canadians at that. So uh, it, it's cool that we've got this uh, homegrown story to, to get attached to. And uh, it already feels like the season is more than a week old, just with the amount of tennis I feel like I've, I've watched in the past seven days, and certainly with Bianca's uh, great run. And for me, just every step of the way, I was thinking like, oh, this is great. What a wonderful result it's been for her to first qualify for the, the main draw, you know? And then, oh, she beat Tamea Babos, who's like a top 50 player. That, that's great. That'll be a real nice start for her. And it just went on from there, and I, I can't even say, I don't know about you, which one of those victories seemed like it was uh, the biggest because there were so many of them. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's hard to characterize, but I, I probably feel like the turning point uh, was the win over Caroline Wozniacki. Um She's still, you know, Venus Williams, we know the amazing pedigree and seven grand slams, just a formidable career, obviously. But we know she's a tail end of her career, late 30s, and she's maybe a bit more prone to losing matches. I feel like it's not that often that we see Caroline Wozniacki bow out early in tournaments, especially early in the season. And last year she was uh, hoisting her first ever grand slam at the Australian Open. She's still, you know, number three in the world. And I can't imagine she wanted to show up in Auckland and uh, sort of lay an egg and lose right off the bat. And, you know, it's one thing to take the first set, 6-4. I've, I feel like Wozniacki is the type of player who knows how to dig her way out of trouble, given how consistent she is from the baseline. She can just outwork so many players. And Bianca just swung her way right past her. Uh, obviously, Wozniacki making a handle, handful of mistakes. And then, uh, look, the power of confidence and momentum, I think, uh, took uh, took fourth, uh, sort of surged ahead for, for Bianca, pardon me, and, and suddenly she was in the final. And look, that final against Julia Gerges was, was incredibly close too. Yeah, all, all the way through, I just kept getting more and more impressed, uh, you know, not just with the way that uh, Bianca kind of took charge of the matches, as you kind of mentioned, but the depth and the variety in her game that she showed us too. I mean, after knocking off consecutive Grand Slam champions, former world number ones, then she ends up with um, Shea Suwei in the semifinals. And I was a little bit concerned there might be a letdown because all of a sudden you're not facing a name that's as big as the other two. And maybe all the text messages you're getting and the, the, the attention you're getting is, is starting to you know, make you lose your focus a little bit. But she came out and she just dominated that semifinal. And the very first point to me was telling against uh, Shea Suwei where Bianca Andreescu did this like slice cross-court drop shot and I'm like, oh, my goodness, she's turning the tables. She's playing, uh, you know, Shea Suwe's game against her here, which just showed another side of, of Bianca's game that I think has grown so much over the years. Yes, she's a big hitter. She's super fit. 
Um, you know, even the past couple of years, she, she didn't look like a junior player out there. She looked like she could handle the pros. And here she is also so showing the, the softer side, the more intelligent tactical side of her game, which I think for 18 years old, is is quite impressive. Yeah, I think uh, I think he took the words right out of my mouth. That uh, I I find you know we we've seen plenty of stories of uh, super hard hitting uh, teenage tennis player on the women's circuit making a rise, but uh, the deft deft touch that she seems to have when she gets close to the net and can use the drop shot and the variety in her game uh, the, that already looks like a, a pretty quality backhand slice that she possesses and uh, she was also very dangerous in her return game just ripping uh, some clean return winners which were giving her some looks and I, I'm sure Julia Gerges was kind of uh, getting a little nervous there when she dropped that first set 6-2 to two and suddenly it was 5-4 in the second but uh, Gerges rallied the German uh, getting her first title of the season actually defending the title in Auckland at the ASB Classic. But uh, look, what it means for Bianca Andreescu jumping 45 spots in the ranks to 107th overall. I guess the question is now, Mike, was this sort of just one magical tournament or are we going to be seeing a lot more of this in 2019? Yeah, I mean, it's a magical tournament uh, for sure, whether she carries this forward uh, immediately or whether it takes some time and, and she sort of has some ups and downs like any young player you know, you'd kind of expect to have. Um, but, uh, I mean, the thing is she had the, the junior pedigree. She had, you know, a good repertoire resume, sorry, already before, you know, becoming a pro. And I think we would have seen not a result like this sooner, but I think we would have seen her ranking already up to about a hundredth in the world. if not just did it last year, if it hadn't been sort of for injuries that kind of derailed her. And it's interesting for me to note that she made it all the way through to the final. She was up a set and, and five, four on serve in the second, I think three points away from the title, actually. And she did all this with her back giving her issues this week. I mean, she was treated several times throughout the tournament by trainers with with back spasms, and that has been an ongoing concern for her. And she also had a really bad cold this week, which, you know, some people might say, okay, big deal. But look, this isn't a team sport where you can take shifts off and then come back out. You're out there on your own. And she battled through all of that uh, and had a result like this. So I think if she's uh, actually healthy and perfectly fit, imagine what she could do. And so I think that, um, you know, if those two things are are possible and hopefully these back issues are are not something that she's going to be dealing with on a perpetual basis, then then I think this is a player that is definitely going to be making waves uh, in the future on the WTA Tour. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Canadian and because I've been following her since she was, uh, you know, a 15-year-old junior, but I really do believe that what we saw this week is going to trouble a lot of players on the Tour. Yeah, you would certainly think so. And uh, with that great result, uh, is the fourth seed in Australian Open qualifying? And look, you, you alluded to the the injuries and the back issues, which were sort of a major problem last season. And now she was she was fighting through it in Auckland. This will be a bit of a challenge, I think, in qualifying, heading over to Melbourne and seeing if she can play her way through that, if she's had enough rest to see if uh, she can make it happen. Uh, but even if she doesn't, if she's unable to qualify for, for the Australian Open, it's still such a fantastic start for her uh, to 2019. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Subscribe on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Southpaw Slice. We're on Facebook and Instagram, too. Uh, we'll continue with our Canadians for the first week. And uh, another name who to me was kind of flying under the radar was Jeannie Bouchard also at the ASB classic in Auckland. She actually won her first ever doubles title, which is pretty surprising and it didn't really get much play in the media because uh, we, we tend to uh, ignore doubles a little too often, but she also reached the quarterfinals 
in singles. And Mike, I feel like she's been playing some pretty good tennis rather quietly over the past three, four months. Yeah, you and me were starting to get like cautiously, optimistically excited about <laughs> um, how Jeannie Bouchard was doing. I feel like in the fall last year, uh, you know, just the fact that she uh, qualified for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, she tore through U.S. Open qualifying, uh, had a good late season result where she made a semi as well. So I think there was a lot of reason that things were starting to turn a little bit for Jeannie Bouchard got back into the top 100, reclaimed the Canadian number one ranking. I mean, those things are all, you know, substantial that we should take note of. And this tournament, if it weren't for Bianca, I think we would have focused on, on Jeannie's result, as would the media at large here in Canada. But perhaps it's best that she's not getting the spotlight and, uh, you know, can just kind of go about her business. Quarterfinals was good. She had a match point even against Julia uh, Gerges. Uh, so, so close to being in the semis. My goodness, could you imagine if we had had an all-Canadian final to start the year? Wow, that would have been something. <laughs> too much. That would have and been then, too uh, big a story. Yeah, too much too soon, right? So, yeah. but, the, but the doubles win, you know, again, good for her. I think she should probably try playing a little bit more doubles to just sort of hone that part of her game as well. Um, and it, it, again, leaves us feeling uh, like, hey, maybe this is the season where things click a little bit more for Jeannie. I'm not saying 2014, uh, you know, levels because I, I don't think we'll ever see that again. And that's that's OK. Right. Like how many players have a season like that? But it'd be nice to see her comfortably inside the top 100, maybe even top 50 and uh, and getting some looks at some, uh, you know, smaller level to mid-level tournaments as a as a start to getting back on track. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, I, I want to bring up a tweet she actually uh, she actually had just from a few days ago, which uh, I don't want to call it a totally uncharacteristic Jeannie Bouchard tweet. But if you follow her social media and the brand that we usually get, this was a bit surprising. She said on January 4th, played five hours of tennis today. It's 2 a.m. I'm lying on my living room floor thinking I miss playing. Who wants to go hit right now? Uh, and I, I think... What we've been missing from Jeannie Bouchard maybe the past few years is uh, maybe she can attest to it, a uh, love for the game and just happy to be out there. And obviously uh, it's going to impact uh, your love for the game when you keep losing and losing. And uh, those stretches that she went through for a few years there, loss after loss, sort of struggling, going from tournament to tournament and, and the confidence dwindling. I think maybe she's uh, feeling a lot more comfortable and happy on court, putting a lot less pressure on herself and uh, really just going back to the basics, uh, using her talent and her skills and uh, it's paying some dividends. Uh, So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Jeannie Bouchard, I I think she's certainly on the right track and uh, I'm targeting maybe a a definite top 50, maybe top 40 potential for this season. Yeah. And I think that pairing with, with uh, her coach, Michael Joyce now also is obviously showing uh, that it's, it's working in the early stages because uh, that was what just last last fall I think the two pairs yes yeah um, so give them a full season to work together and if she's in a right frame of mind um, you know confidence and, and your mental state is so important so maybe she's turning the corner and putting some of that stuff in the past away and, and just able to come out swinging this year and, and having fun and we'll, we'll see what happens but I think it's going to be fun to cover and it's really nice I think from our perspective to be talking about Jeannie Bouchard in a, in a positive way not that you or I ever portrayed her negatively but there just wasn't a whole lot to get excited about. So I think it's great that we can talk about her and say, 
yep, she's taking steps in the right direction. Yes, certainly. And a couple other Canadians to watch. Women's side, uh, they are in Melbourne, Australia this week. Uh, Rebecca Marino, she's coming to her first Grand Slam uh, since actually the Australian Open six years ago, 2013. So you think of how long she has come uh, to have this opportunity. And then Catherine Sebov will be playing her uh, first ever Grand Slam in qualifying, I believe. Uh, anything you're watching for maybe in terms of Rebecca Marino here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think tempering expectations, we all obviously want her to make it through. And, you know, it's not often that I kind of put my tennis fan hat on anymore. Yeah. But how can you not root for someone like her after what she's been through? And what a successful comeback she had last year to get through, you know, at the ITF level, winning so many titles, getting her ranking back up to good standing where she could even be in a Grand Slam qualifying draw. But, uh, you know, let's keep it reasonable uh, and, and see what happens for her. But just great to see her at this stage and anything else is, is kind of a bonus, but it'll be interesting to see what she can do uh, in her second year of the comeback now in terms of how high can that ranking go? Can she, uh, you know, maybe get up to a, a spot where she's able to get into some tournaments without even having to go through qualities? Um, very excited to see what she can do next. And, and also for the youngsters like Sebov and, and Bianca, if she's got some gas left in the tank, uh, you know, how they can do here as well. Uh, one player I should mention who I spoke with just a week ago, Francoise Abanda, is decided not to go uh, the qualies route. She's kind of taken it back down to basics and says she needs to get hungry again for, for some wins and get back down to the, the challenger level. And she's going to fight through some uh, lower level ITF events to uh, get that confidence back is, is her plan for the start of the year. Well, and I think that's probably the, the perfect plan for her. Uh, we'll sort of keep a tab on her and, and see if she can and find her form again. We saw, I guess, a glimpse of it, a Rogers Cup in Montreal this past uh, this past summer, but uh, largely 2018 was one of disappointment for her, so she'll be scrapping away uh, in the minor leagues, so to speak, uh, seeing if she can bump that ranking back up. Uh, just a couple other notes on the women's side. Uh, WTA this past week, uh, the Shenzhen Open, a great title to start the season for Arena South. I think this is a name we've been uh, having our eyes peeled on for probably the past four or five months, maybe of that ilk of Naomi Osaka. And to me, she's already going to be maybe a potential contender I'm penciling in at the Australian Open. Yeah, she's fun to watch. And I mean, holy smoke, she's only 20 years old. She is super strong, just physically strong. I watched her match against Sharapova in the quarterfinals there. And I know Sharapova was struggling with some injury um, concerns, obviously, and retired in that match. But Sabalenka just destroyed her in that first set. And when I'm watching Sabalenka wait to receive serve, she's just got this look on her face like she's so eager to pound that ball back. And my goodness, I just I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the net uh, facing her right now. Very confident, took the title. And uh, again, I go back to the last slam of 2018, she got knocked out by Naomi Osaka, who, who went on, obviously, to win her first major there. And I, I've said it before, but I wonder what Sabalenka could have done if, if she had gotten through that match. And, uh, and she's definitely one of my favorites. I wouldn't even say a dark horse. She's one of my favorites to potentially uh, go quite deep uh, here in, in Melbourne in, in a week's time.
Yeah, definitely a fearsome player uh, from the baseline. Just powerful, powerful ground strokes. Carolina Pliskova uh, was in Brisbane capturing the title there. Nice to see her get back in the winner's circle. She beat uh, Lysia Serenko in the finals. She feels like a bit of a, an under-the-radar top 10 player to me, so we'll see what she can do in Australia. I guess we'll shift course to uh, the men's side uh, because we, we had a handful of Canadians in action. Well, more specifically, Milos Raonic was getting his tune-up in Brisbane. And we'll start right there. Uh, look, this was a, a tournament he was at last season. Alex Diemenauer knocked him out first round of action, and we know how how poorly the start of 2018 went for him. I'm glad he looks healthy for now. He uh, lost a tight quarterfinal to Daniel Medvedev. Uh, yeah, he doesn't seem as injury-ravaged as he was at the tail end of 2017, carried over to 2018. So I, I think it's really just health, health, health for, for Milos coming into the first Grand Slam. Ben, I feel like we can't even talk about Milos and injuries because we're going to jinx him or something to start the year, you know, know. like he's that fragile. Um, I mean, the difference this year compared to, uh, you know, 12 months ago was he did not look in shape last January. Um, and it's very rare that, that I'll notice these kind of things, but he really looked like he was just carrying some extra weight and not able to move properly around the court to be able to compete in these matches. And so the fact that, yeah, he looks leaner now and he looks like he's, you know, had a good off season in terms of physical fitness, that bodes well. And I mean, look, the guy he went down to in Brisbane, Medvedev ended up winning, uh, sorry, making the finals and super dangerous player, obviously. So, you know, three sets early in the season, uh, I'm okay with that. I just, gosh, I hope he can stay even half as healthy as he did in, in 2018 because he's still a Grand Slam contender if he can stay fit throughout a, a two-week best-of-five set tournament. And, uh, you know, Wimbledon in the U.S. Open, uh, he was not fit. He was not healthy enough to uh, to really be able to compete at his best. And I hope we can see that because he's 28. He should still have some good years ahead of him. You know, uh, hey, the men don't peak till in their 30s, anyways. These days, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great to see. Yeah, it'd be great to see him have some good years ahead. But God, he's got to find a way to stay healthy. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, to take some optimism going into Melbourne, uh, outside of Wimbledon, Australian Open has actually been his best Grand Slam tournament. Uh, and takeaway last season, and as you said, not only the the health in terms of of his body, but his conditioning was certainly a problem at the front end of 2018 when he was just worn out in that first round match. He lost it to Lucas Latchko. But you go from 2015, 2016, 2017, he had two quarterfinals appearances and a semifinal appearance. Uh, at the Australian Open 2017. I think that quarterfinal loss was to Rafael Nadal. So he's been there uh, when healthy, competing with the top dogs, trying to break through. I recall a great five-set win over Stan Wawrinka there in 2016 where he rallied down two sets to love. So we know what he can produce uh, when healthy. It seems like we've forgotten that uh, just a couple years ago he was number three in the world. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's all down to the body uh, holding up, holding up for two weeks weeks maybe getting that extra day in between matches uh even in the best of five format he can utilize to his advantage because uh if he's healthy um i i view him as a potential second week player uh at the australian open every time right yeah and he got overshadowed last year too by some of dennis shapovalov's results but if i'm a player on the tour if i've got to face both of those guys and they're both healthy, uh, I would way rather face Dennis at yeah. this point, you know, the, yeah, the younger one who's more prone to, to errors and, and inconsistencies than, than Milos, uh, Milos Ronich.
Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And a uh, tough quarterfinal loss to Daniel Medvedev, as we said, but he's a rising top 20 player. Great Russian player. A bit disappointing for Milos in that match that I uh, watched the highlights in. He was serving for all third set and 40 love on his serve, and he got broken there, and that was the match. Very surprising uh, to see that from him. But uh, he got more match play going into his first Grand Slam of the season, which I think will help. Unfortunately for Denis Shapovalov, he was making his tune-up in Auckland this week uh actually monday morning at the asb classic and he top, uh, dropped a three-set match to Zhao souza i was certainly expecting more from dennis to open the season i don't know really where we're placing expectations for the first grand slam of the year given that uh he's coming in here just having you know oh and one to start 2019 what what do we think what would he what do we make of his chances really yeah, the thing I guess that I try and remember is at the start of the season, you know, half of every draw is starting their season 0-1, right? So yeah. um, there's lots of guys and, and women who, uh, you know, must be feeling kind of frustrated because they come in a new year, everyone's super positive and pumped and, and happy, hopefully, with how their training's gone, and, and half of them lose the first-round match. So I, I won't put too much into that. I think this year overall, you know, for, for Dennis is, again, small steps, baby steps. I'm, I'm not expecting him to uh, go deep in a slam. I'm, I'm not expecting, you know, a Masters 1000 title even. But I think, you know, get that first title, hopefully, whether it be a 250 or a, or a 500 level event. Um, try and find some more consistent play week in and week out as he gets more accustomed to, again, life as a professional tennis player. Uh, still only 19 years old. So, you know, expectations for Australia, hey, if he could make the second week, I think that would be absolutely incredible. Um, but, uh, you know, even third, fourth round, you know, and, and playing, you know, a, a pretty solid game, um, I think would be, uh, you know, a step in the, in the right direction really for me. Yeah, and if I'm reflecting, I guess, on his last Grand Slam appearance, that was at the U.S. Open, and he went toe-to-toe with Kevin Anderson uh, in that third-round match. They went uh, to a fifth set, and that was an absolute battle. So he's going to be one of those players lurking, I think, in the draw that you're not going to want to face early, and he's uh, he has the ability to string together a few wins. We'll see what he can uh, do. He's not carrying momentum in terms of victories, uh, but look, he should be very, very fresh and healthy, which is going to be very important. You're you're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. I'm Ben Lewis. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike McIntyre at Pro Tennis Fan. Just a few more uh, Canadian men to talk about because they are in the Australian Open qualifying field. Uh, I guess the most promising one here is Felix Oje Ali Yassim. And uh, he's he's going to be certainly, to me, a threat uh, to find his way through qualifying after we saw him do it at the U.S. Open. Yeah, Felix, uh, again, this is the year that he's almost certainly going to be cracking into the top 100. He's so close already and, uh, you know, so much more that he can accomplish this year. And uh, in qualities, we've got him, we've got uh, Peter Polanski, Braden Schnur. I got to say, I'm just super happy that none of them are having to uh, either face each other in the first round of qualifying or even be in the same bracket. You always hate to see those Canadians having to sort of take one another out if, if it gets to that. Um, but I'm, I'm pumped for a full year of, of Felix, a year older, a year stronger. I'm sure he was putting in a ton of time in the gym and, and getting ready for this season. Uh, I'm excited to see him and, and Dennis hopefully team up in, in some doubles action this year too, which would be a lot of fun to watch as we saw in Toronto last summer. Um, gosh, there's just so many names. I feel like this podcast, we're going to have to like 
add time every week <laughs> because there's so many more Canadians for us to, to focus on that are that are having success or, or getting close to having success, I think, on a regular basis. Yeah, we'll call that a good problem to have, right? Uh, so yes. <laughs> uh, one Canadian we will be missing, uh, he, he announced the news last week, uh, Unfortunately, Vashik Pospisil withdrawing from Australia due to a back injury. He was making nice strides in 2018, uh, worked his way inside the top 80 at one point. So probably certainly the right move uh, if his body is not 100% to play here. But uh, we'll have our eyes peeled on Felix Ojeali. He seems certainly the most promising of the bunch. Peter Polanski, uh, look, he had the lucky loser dream from last year in 2018, uh, getting four consecutive lucky loser berths into Grand Slams. We'll see what happens uh, for him this season. And we'll uh, keep our eyes peeled as well on Braden Schnur. Uh, sticking with the men, and I guess we'll venture over to the big three and start with Roger Federer because he was playing the exhibition at Hotman Cup uh, for Switzerland. And I feel like he's somehow become a bit of a forgotten entity as a Grand Slam threat. And this same time last year, he got his tune-up at the Hotman Cup and won a second consecutive Australian Open title. So I just think it would be crazy not to consider him a Grand Slam contender, right? off the bat oh he's a contender for sure even though he's kind of playing coy right like his uh his early season press and he's talking about how novak's the clear <laughs> yeah, favorite right. and, and how he's i mean he's playing this to perfection i don't know if he actually believes it or not or if he's just trying to have people maybe let their guard down a bit but my goodness no he's a he's a top threat for sure and i know the hopman cup is a you know an exhibition type event and how much stock do we put into the results but boy was he ever looking sharp there and He's been playing that Hopman Cup forever. I think his first one was back in 2001 where he partnered with Martina Hingis, and he played it also 2002 partnering with his, his now wife, Mirka Federer. Um, so that's how long he's been playing that event for. And, uh, yeah, he's done this the last two years, come in and, and won in Australia. No one expected it in 2017 as he was just coming back from that long layoff. That was just incredible to me. And then he did it again last year, so... Look, if Federer ends up winning his, his third consecutive Aussie Open, don't put me in the group of people that's going to say they're surprised. He's right up there, and uh, along with Djokovic, uh, those are my top two for sure. Yeah, and uh, I, I think we kind of started to write him off a little bit at the second half of the season, but you went when you really break down some of his losses, I mean, the Kevin Anderson... Kevin Anderson marathon match 13-11 in the quarterfinals, a match where he held a match point and could have easily advanced to that semifinal and probably would have been playing for the title against Novak Djokovic if he gets through there. A couple other early losses like uh, Indian Wells to Juan Martin Del Potro. That was 7-6 in the third set. Uh, just a couple bad losses like John Millman and Tanasi Kokonakis. But overall, he still put together a pretty darn good season. 48-10 and 10 is 48-10 uh, and 10 and four titles is kind of nothing to uh, turn your head at so uh, he's certainly maybe number two on the list right now Novak Djokovic Djokovic, I think still has to be uh, number one uh, despite losing in Doha this week we'll get back to him in a second Uh, I I just want to mention a bit of the history that we had made at Hopman Cup I feel like the narrative I guess a year ago at the Laver Cup was Roger Federer playing doubles with Rafael Nadal and now Roger Federer is against Serena Williams in doubles Uh, two greatest ever to share a court possibly or at least uh, you know the two most Grand Slam titles ever combined yeah, it was pretty cool. I almost kind of felt bad for Belinda Bencic and uh, Francis Tiafoe because <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they really took a back seat. Like, 
they could have almost just sat down and everyone would have been thrilled to just see Federer and, and Serena hit against each other. Or, or maybe they should have just sat out for a game or something so we could have watched that. It was cool. And, you know, whether you're a Fed fan, a Serena fan or not, I mean, come on, you can't argue that the Grand Slam success, the, the legends of the game that these two are. So to get them on the same tennis court on opposite sides is pretty neat. We'll probably probably never see it again. Uh, they were both super complimentary of each other as well. It was kind of funny to watch them in their post-match uh, little uh, on-court interview with, with each other, gushing over one another. Uh, it was neat. I enjoyed it. It's part of what I love about the Hopman Cup. I've always enjoyed this event. It brings both the men and women together, which we don't get to see too often. It makes mixed doubles really important in the in the scoring as well. And uh, it's just kind of a cool way to, to tune up for the season. So I don't know what's going to be happening with this event, how it's going to potentially uh, evolve in the future with that ATP World Cup starting in, uh, in 2020. But uh, I hope if it, if it doesn't stay put at the start of the season, if it doesn't even stay put in, in that part of the world, I hope somehow the Hotman Cup gets picked up so we can still see it because I think it adds something pretty cool to the, uh, the tennis uh, calendar, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, Serena and Roger Federer were able to share a selfie for the ages uh, and post it on Twitter, which uh, produced uh, 125,000 likes. So definitely an iconic moment tennis-wise, even if it is an exhibition and everybody's having fun. Special to see those two on the court together. We'll shift over to Doha, where Novak Djokovic arriving as the number one seed, an event he's won a couple of times. But an inspired Roberto Bautista Agut pulled off the uh, three-set victory in the semifinals, went on to... Uh, win the title over Tomas Burdick, who uh, played a nice week of tennis as well. I guess the only notes I'm taking from this tournament is, to me, Novak is certainly the favorite at the Australian Open, as you mentioned, but he's also beatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, anyone looking, any other players looking for, for some, you know, positive in terms of if they have to face Novak in, in Melbourne is the fact that, yeah, he hasn't won his last few tournaments in a row that he's entered, closing out 2018 and now starting 2019 he had a couple of three setters against uh fuksovics and uh, basilishvili god that name always gets me but anyways you know he did struggle by dropping the first set in both of those matches before going out uh to the eventual champion so maybe you know a little glimmer of hope for for some potential opponents that that i've noticed and i'm okay with that i don't i don't want it to be a you know you don't hand out the trophy at the start of the event anyway so Let's uh, let's have a game of it and see who's going to uh, contend along with Novak and, and Roger. When I look at that draw in Doha, just for a moment, as I'm kind of peering around other things that I noticed that kind of caught my eye, uh, Stan Wawrinka had a big opening uh, first-round win over uh, Karen Kachanov, which I thought was, was huge for him. And uh, although he didn't go past the uh, the quarterfinals, it'd be really nice, I think, if we had him back to playing some, uh, some serious ball and, and getting back in the the top uh, you know top 50 anyways i think he's 66 before this this event um andy murray also he wasn't in doha but he's just on my mind because we're talking about you know guys that that used to be at the top that still you know if they're healthy could do it and and i think andy's one that who knows what what we can see from him he just isn't giving me the confident vibes with his talk about that hip injury but again that could be just sort of protecting himself if, if things don't work out here um I, I don't know how you feel about those two guys. Could they get back to being legitimate threats or are their best days, uh, you know, likely behind them? 
Well, I, I certainly wouldn't expect to say Stan Wawrinka to me has a better chance of getting back to his glory days than Andy Murray. But Andy Murray was quite candid. Uh, he was in Brisbane after that loss to uh, Daniel Medvedev uh, that he sort of said, look, I, I don't feel great with the hit most days, but I can work with it. And we're going to see sort of what happens. It wasn't. It wasn't the sound of a confident guy that I'm taking the court. I don't feel any pain. He was pretty honest with it that uh, I don't think he views himself uh, as as a contender sort of in the mix of top 20 players at the ATP level just yet. And I think he's a little nervous if he can get back there in terms of his movement. He has to sort of cautiously uh, work his way around the court. And, you know, hip injuries for, for tennis are some of the most brutal. So uh, he, I think, has a long way to go. I actually thought Stan Wawrinka was turning a couple corners in 2018. Uh, Rogers Cup in Toronto comes to mind. He played a great match with Rafael Nadal there tight two setter where he was kind of going toe to toe uh, with Nadal who was ranked number one at the time so that to me was a great sign and yeah of course beating one of the best up and coming players in the world right now and Karen Kachanov to start your season is about as great a start as you can ask for and then uh, he just lost to the player who won the title and Roberto Batista Agut so to me Stan Wawrinka is is a player on the rise right now where Andy Murray is still trying to find his footing a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see where they land in the draw, isn't it? Because they're going to cause someone a major headache early on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that'll be curious to see. Um, also, a couple other titles uh, to discuss. Impune India, Kevin Anderson matching up with Ivo Karlovich in the final. Uh, I dug up a stat about this one that it was the tallest uh, open era ATP final uh, in, in history. 6'11 versus six foot. Eight Kevin Anderson and Anderson getting off uh, to a great start to 2019 uh, with the title. And we know he's been to a Grand Slam final in each of the past two years. He's a name I guess I'm circling in that second tier as someone just knocking right on the door of getting a Grand Slam title. Yeah, I almost want to say like he's in my first tier. You know what I mean? Like he's that's how much he's impressed me the last two seasons with with what he's done. You know, a couple of years ago, if I had seen an Anderson versus Karlovic uh, final, I would have just kind of laughed and tweeted something about, oh, you know, get ready for the tie breaks and the big serves. And well, they did produce three tie breaks. <laughs> they but, did. But Anderson's game has come so so far since then, and he's a legitimate top ten player. He belongs up there. Uh, look, if he won the Australian Open would not uh, I would not say oh my goodness I'm I'm surprised or I'm shocked because I think it it could be that progression for him that he is getting that close now to to winning one of these uh, grand slam titles and for Dr Evo just cool to see him what is he like 40 years old now um or or close to it anyways if if not and I I always really like that guy he's one of the first uh, professional tennis players I ever interviewed one on one and when I went in I can remember I was so nervous cuz he's just so physically imposing you know and then when we started talking, he's like the, the softest spoken guy you'll ever speak to. And, uh, and he's got a great sense of humor, too. I said, like, what are the, the pros and cons of being six foot eleven? And he's like, well, you know, the pros, something about the serve, obviously. And then the cons, he's like, I, I cannot drive sports cars. I'm like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess not. You yeah. know? Um, so uh, cool to see him prolonging and continuing the career. And I guess with a serve like that, he might be able to play right into his late 40s. Who knows? And for Kevin Anderson, he, he won the title, and he kind of had to win that title. He should be winning that title when you look at the other, other players in that draw, but, but off to a good start nonetheless.
Yeah, and uh, just looking at a few other names, obviously next week we're going to have a full uh, preview of the Australian Open. I just want to bring this up as a point of concern. I hadn't even realized Alexander Zverev currently dealing with a hamstring injury. He played at the Hopman Cup, and the story being reported is that he's going to struggle to see if he can get fit to play the Australian Open. So so that would be very, very disappointing uh, if we had one of our young superstars have to withdraw. And we know we've documented his struggles at, at Grand Slams, but we certainly would want to see him there so I hope he can uh, be ready and fit to play uh, just in Brisbane Kei Nishikori finally snapping his brutal streak of nine consecutive finals losses he beat Daniel Medvedev for the title and I'm kind of throwing him in the mix of those other tier of players Anderson probably above that class but but then maybe I'm looking at Nishikori Chilich, Dominic team as that sort of top second tier and I think Nishikori can can firmly establish himself as a top 10, maybe top eight player this season. Yeah, I know you've always been pretty high on on him and maybe it was that consecutive final losing streak that, you know, kind of um, didn't inspire me with with much confidence with him. Every time I've seen him play, he hasn't had a, a super great match when I've been there live either in person. So, yeah, I know what he's done in the past and I, I know he's capable of doing when he's he's healthy. Uh, I don't put him in that tier, especially with some of these young guys coming up that that can uh, you know hit harder as well and and have proven results in the last you know six to twelve months. But uh, maybe to me, maybe in that dark horse category is a Kei Nishikori right now. Well, that's fair. Um, let's I guess wrap up speaking about the uh, final member of the big three that we have not touched upon. Rafael Nadal withdrew from Brisbane. He only competed in nine events all of last season, though he did win five of these, uh, but again, held back by injuries. I think it was really just precautionary for him. He said in a press conference, his plan or hope rather is to win the Australian Open. I I just wonder, can his body sustain the hardcore beating for two consecutive weeks in Melbourne to, to give himself a chance to even make it happen? Yeah, you know what's funny, and I feel kind of silly even saying this, but like I wasn't even going to mention his name. Like he's not even in my consciousness right now, which is ridiculous <laughs> to say about a world number two. Yeah, but it's not because of what you know. I don't think he can do. It's it's what I don't think he can do if his body is is acting up again. And you know, a thigh strain. Okay, hopefully that's something that he can just shake off and get get over. You know, in time for Melbourne. But uh, he just hasn't been able to do much on the hard courts. I mean, I think last year really the Rogers Cup was the only one he could get through in, in one piece. He won it. So obviously, if he's healthy, super dangerous as as always. But uh, yeah, I'm just not getting that confident vibe. So when I'm thinking of, of who I picture potentially holding that trophy at the end of these two weeks, Nadal is, is not one of those guys. And it's, it's purely because I, I just don't know if he's uh, going to be able to hold up through this this event yeah and certainly when he was last playing on a hard court event at a grand slam u.s open i mean lengthy lengthy matches four or five hours with dominic team karen kachanov that is just absolutely draining him and those knees so if he wants to find his way competing for a title he's gonna have to uh, play some quicker points find his way through some matches much much more quickly uh, to give himself a chance. Anyway, I think we've had just an awesome start to 2019. Obviously, Bianca Andreescu being our incredible highlight. And it's so unbelievable how quickly the Australian Open just hits you once uh, once you're at the start of the tennis season, that it's that qualifying is literally beginning uh, right now as we speak. 
is my favorite slam of the year uh, because of the fact that we've waited so many months to have Grand Slam action. You know, like, yeah, Wimbledon's more prestigious and the U.S. Open maybe has more electricity to it. And the French, well, it's on clay, which is kind of cool and, and, and just a different beast in itself. But the Aussie Open, I just look forward to Grand Slam tennis more than anything else. And uh, I'm super pumped for our preview episode and, and can't wait to, to record that with you next week. Yeah, that'll be great. The only issue I have with the Australian Open is the 3.30 a.m. wake-up times. <laughs> if I want to watch a match live, it's pretty brutal. You really got to restructure your sleep schedule. Unless you're willing to watch a match highlights or just watch the rerun and not check the results, which is just way too hard for me to do. Yeah, I'm still recovering from Bianca Andreescu's week in Auckland, so give me a week to recharge the batteries and I'll see what I can do because I love watching the tennis live rather than waking up and finding out how it all played out. Okay, fair, fair enough. All right, you've been listening to the Southpaw Slice first episode of 2019. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. You can find me at Ben Lewis, SN 590, and find Mike McIntyre at Pro Tennis Fan. Mike, thanks as always for joining me, and uh, we will chat again next week. Oh, yeah.